So if you would take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We've been working our way through the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Because a lot of what they deal with there is similar to what we deal with here. Because it is a book that is written by the Apostle Paul in the church age, we know that it has much more immediate primary application to what we're dealing with, rather than if we were in the Old Testament dealing with a secondary application, trying to come together and and put those principles into play. What I want us to do, just for the sake of us having context, is I want us to start in verse 1. And just to read through, and actually I'm going to ask that we read through for the entire chapter, and then we'll back up and pick up where we left off. I think it's important for us to get the big picture. Now, we're not going to be going verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. In fact, after this Sunday, we'll be uh, looking at something that is related, but progressing on in what we're trying to get to, and understanding what it is to live the Spirit-filled life or the Christ life, that I want to call it. Um. So, so verse 1, just follow along with me. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, and all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I just can't help but to think about some of the conversations that went on with Chloe after they read this letter. Ah, You know she got it. If anything, on Facebook at the time. Verse 12. Now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am of of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided, church? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Excellent. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one would say that they were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not, did not, did not, and I know it doesn't say that in the English, I want to make sure we're all reading. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross 
is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. Here it is. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's a tendency for people to have opinions. (laughs) Now, I'm glad that you recognize the understatement of my lifetime. Everyone has an opinion about something. And many people try to speak as an authority on a lot of situations they know very little about. In fact, this is one of the greatest dangers of the internet, is it not? Everybody kept everything they had locked up here, and they put it out there for everybody to see. And that's when you nudge your spouse and you go, see, I told you they were crazy. They really believe that? They really think that? They really look at things like that? So I'm in Walmart yesterday, and I'm going through self-checkout, not because I feared anybody else touching my stuff, but because I'd just rather do it. And I didn't know this, the ladies who work over in the optical are also trained to double on cash registers. Well, about a year ago, I had a lot of conversation with a lot of the ladies that worked in the optical department there. One of them's actually visited church here a few times and those types of things. So every time I walk by, I'm able to give them like the friendly hi. You know, we got some kind of like connection thing going on. You guys messed up my glasses, so you have to like me kind of thing, right? (laughs) So it's real good. But as I'm checking out, one of the girls comes over. She says, what in the world are you doing out in this crazy mess? And I just told her in the flattest Kentucky accent that I could, I ain't scared. (laughs) That's what it was. Plus, my wife needed groceries. Better me go out than her. 
But what I didn't recognize was that the lady that had visited our church a few times was on the register behind where I'm checking out. And she said, Pastor, are you canceling church? And I said, never. And she goes, really? And I said, yeah, you going to be there? <laughs> right? I'm like, you couldn't have walked into that one any better, lady. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to stay home and take care of my parents. I'm like, you can bring them too. <laughs> well, and you know when you hear those little dot, dot, dot in their language. Time to wish them a good day. God bless you. Move on, right? I think those interactions are interesting with people. There's something about the gospel of Jesus Christ that repulses people, yet attracts them. They know they need it. But they're scared to death of what Jesus is going to ask them to do if they believe him. I think it's amazing that out of all the things that people could have picked to be a better option than believing in Christ, trusting in the world was the number one thing. I don't care if you have a false god. I don't care if you have a different religion. I don't care if you subscribe to whatever. You ultimately find that worldliness has threaded its way into every seam that it can in order to make people ultimately worshipers of the world. Now, here's a trivia quiz. It'll shock some of you, and some of you will be like, I know that one. Who runs the world? Satan does. In fact, when you do a study of the word world, it's the Greek word cosmos, and you find out that what it's talking about is actually a system. A systematized weaving together of a way that Satan has put this. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> He's clicked it all together. And it's actually his discipleship plan to get you to not trust God. Everybody participates in it whether they want to or not. Let me ask you a question. Did you leave your phone on because you were afraid you are going to miss something while I was preaching? Good. God knows. But aren't we so quick to want to find out everything else that's going on? See, it's, it's got at least a hook in us somewhere. Somewhere. And if you're like me, that frustrates the daylights out of me. And it causes me to lose sight of the main thing. The main thing. Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, now pay attention to that, okay? In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. So remember what we're dealing with. If, if you remember one of these papers, we can talk about it later if you like. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But this is actually a chiasm here in the text of how it's set up. And what this is, is it's a literary device that Paul employs under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to show you, compare, and contrast, and to draw your attention to a main punching emphasis that he wants you to get. And if you want those little papers, they're located back there on the table. They were handed out last week. But this idea here is that the furthest 
that the world can go cannot even begin to touch a knowledge of God. Society will never ascend to those heights. Science will never take you there. In fact, when they unraveled the DNA code, the guy who did it had to keep telling himself, there is no God, there is no God. It's on record. Google it. He had to remind himself that he's starting from a basis of godlessness, and therefore it's not a sufficient answer, even though the symmetry and design was preaching to him. There's a creator. So the world and its knowledge will never get to God. Now this is the beauty of the gospel. And if you've signed up for evangelism training, awesome. If you haven't, I know. Because we have a sign-up sheet. And I'm looking for every single person to attend this training. We're having it on April 18th. We're having one in June. We're having one on August 1st. But for this first one, I encourage you to sign up. Because the great transitioning section in the gospel presentation is this. Since we could never come to God, God came to us. That's the beauty of verse 21. Look what it says. For since the wisdom of the world, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, moving into your B section, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Why? Because faith comes through hearing and hearing the gospel of Christ. People do not get saved any other way than coming in contact with a hearing of the gospel. Stop for a second. Think about how you came to know Jesus. How did you come into a relationship with Christ? Don't tell me no one told you about it. Even if it was through a gospel track. Well, I didn't actually hear it. Come on now. Don't get so literal on me. Somebody told you, didn't they? Somebody exposed you. Somebody let you know, don't you realize we're all in this huge boat called sin? It's traveling towards one destination called the lake of fire. Our passports are punched and sure. Coronavirus ain't stopping that trip. So I need rescue off the boat. And this is what the cross does. And it's interesting. God was well pleased. Notice he wasn't well pleased in raising a bunch of dead people to life, corpses walking around. That wasn't the idea. He wasn't well pleased in walking around and healing a lot of sickness, causing blind people to see. Those were all great things, but what pleased God in a method to reach people was one way, preach the gospel. That's it. There is nothing else. No one is saved in any other way than hearing the gospel and responding to it in faith. Look what it says. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, does everybody detect a little bit of sarcasm in Paul's writing there? Somebody had to die for me? You mean, I can't earn it, I can't figure it out, I can't design it, I can't be good enough, I'm not smart enough? Yeah, that's, that's the greatest problem and usually the stumbling of the gospel. 
is that we are all deficient in every way possible. And here's the interesting thing. It's really not some are more deficient than others. It's that all are depraved and none can earn salvation, period. This is what makes the extension of salvation at all grace. Is God obligated? No. But because of who he is, being a gracious God, he wants to. Now that's what's great. That's really what grace is. If you think about it, I don't have to. I want to. You ever had your spouse do something because they wanted to, not because they had to? Ladies, don't you wish your husband would take out the trash because he wants to? Not because he has to? See, I see some of you looking around. That hit a nerve. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Why? Because doesn't that just scream love? Doesn't it just scream love? I don't have to save you. I want to save you. I want to make it possible. I want to give the opportunity. That sounds like good news to me. So notice, the foolishness of the message preached, the preaching of Christ crucified, to save those who believe. Now, depending on where you stand on the spectrum, you may have problems with this comment, and that's okay. But notice, every single person has the ability to believe. I just had a fun little conversation with somebody from Answers in Genesis this past week who told me, well, unless God gets in there and flips the switch, they can't believe. I say no. I say the Holy Spirit is constantly convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I say that we are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I say when people respond in faith, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and seals them for the day of redemption at that moment. Every single person is already condemned for not believing. It's when we believe that we are then granted eternal life. This whole idea that God saved y'all and didn't save y'all just because he, that's the way he wanted to do it, that's frightening to think that there's a God that would exist like that. That sounds more like Satan than anything. Now, if that ruffles your feathers, you've got my email address. Verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. You say, I want to share my faith, but I'm not a preacher. That's okay. You don't have to be a preacher to preach it. You say, that doesn't make any sense. If you're saved, how did that happen? What did Jesus do for you? What debt did he relieve from you? All of it. Gone. Do you have friends? I hope so. Do you have coworkers? Do you have people that just seem to oddly come into your acquaintance somehow? I guarantee you those are divine appointments orchestrated by the Lord. That's how much he cares about saving people. We are the salt and light of this earth. We are the only people with hope. Don't just go to church. Be the church. You are the church. Even if the church didn't meet, we would still be church. And the church carries the hope of the gospel to every single person. They need to hear it. Something I didn't tell you. As I turned around and looked at the cashier behind me and I said, why would we close our doors when this is the time that people need hope the most? Now let's get all crazy on this. You think God's trying to get people's attention with this thing? 
I don't think he does anything by accident. I don't think he allows anything to happen that he is not looking for in some way to wake us up out of this revolving display case of lesser things called the world and try to make us realize that there's so much better that he's already secured for us and he invites us all to participate. Please come. Please be a part of this. Believe and be saved. But you've got to come to terms with Christ and Him crucified. You have to come to terms with a man who had to die on a cross because you and I can't stop thinking bad things about each other. And because we lie. And because we wish we had what they have. And because we can't be content. And because unbelief wants to grab the heart and wrestle it to the ground. And yet Jesus dies anyway. But we preach Christ crucified. Now watch this. Because Jews are asking for a sign. In Greek, search for wisdom, verse 22. Look what it says here. To Jews, a stumbling block. A stumbling block to them because it's not the sign they wanted. Everybody see that? Jesus is not so much concerned with razzle-dazzle as he is saving sinners. He's not here to entertain or amuse. He's here to justify. He's here to sanctify. And he's here to glorify. And that's what he does. That's what he's in the business of doing. So the Jews had a difficult time with this. Look at the next part. Not just that, but Gentiles say it's foolishness. Why? Because they seek for wisdom. Now this goes to say, by the message, the foolishness of the message preached. Do you realize that all we have to do is tell somebody about Christ? And if they respond in faith, they now have untold things. For the longest time we were talking about how it's 37 things. I'm doing a study right now through all of Paul's letters. I'm just reading through them, and I'm documenting everything that is ours or that we now have the potential to do because we are in Christ. I want to say in Romans I found 78 things. Poor Emily had to type them all up. I want to say in 1 Corinthians I found over 60 things. In 2 Corinthians I found over 60 things. In Galatians, I found over 40 things. Some of them double, but not all of them. But it's all of these massive blessings that are ours for no reason except we are now located in a brand new place, which is in Christ. And because we are in Christ, everything in that locale is now freely able to be used by us and belongs to us because Jesus graciously grants it to us. My whole goal over the next few months is to unfold that entire idea so we would understand exactly how bursting in the spiritual pocketbook we are with Christ our Lord. He has set us up for success. You talk about retirement plan. Woo! We don't even know. We can die eating beans out of a can. We're still the most richest person in the world. Unbelievable. Because we have the Almighty God freely giving us all things because we're in Christ. Man, I hope. Oh, pray about that. Pray that we get that. Pray that our hearts would receive that good stuff. So here it is, verse 24. But to those who are called, called out of the world, 
Called away from sin, called out from under the power of the devil is the idea. That's what the gospel is. It's a calling away from that and to the Lord. Watch this. Both who? Jews and Greeks. See, here's the interesting thing is, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles had a racism problem at that time. They hated each other. The Jews especially hated the Greeks in the forms of the Romans, actually, or the Gentiles in the form of the Romans, because of their dominance over their society and culture. They could move freely, but let's be honest, when you got a lot of guys dressed up like centurions with swords and spears and shields around every corner, you don't feel so free, do you? And so they actually hated this slight oppression that they were feeling from the Romans, so much so that they revolted. Hatred. Hatred. Think about the word. Hatred. Hatred. Do you realize what this verse is telling you? Look what it says. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, you know what that says? He's able to take both sides and stick them together into one complete unit. In fact, if you ever want some good reading, Ephesians 2, 11 to the end of the chapter, I think it's 22, 11 to 22. Jesus Christ in the cross has torn down the middle wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles from one another, and he united them together, not worried about whether they were Gentiles or Jews anymore, but he made them a new creation, and that new creation is called the body of Christ, of which he is the head. And so he marries them together with no racial friction anymore, and instead locks arms with them because we're now brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the power of the gospel talk about some of the racial reconciliation talk that we have going on today and how people have capitulated from the gospel of Christ crucified in order to talk about how we can all just get along better because we're discriminating against skin color. I say that's stupid. And here's the reason why. is because you can't get along with another person of a different skin color if you don't have Christ reconciling that relationship. You can't even get along with people in your own skin color. You can't even get along with people in your own family. You can't even get along with you unless Christ reconciles it. Why? Because flesh hates the spirit. Spirit hates flesh. How do you do it? By the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. So even we are having to war with two sides in ourselves, in our families, in our surroundings. Racial lines is a satanic orchestration not God's look to Noah he'll tell you and have a problem with it there why everybody's on the same boat everybody came from the same people think about it is it not true but what has Satan done through his careful crafting of the world in order to create greater division study Hitler Racism was his motivation. Tell me it's not satanic. Moving on. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, notice where the focus changes to. Christ, the power of God. Here are five things we're going to see that Christ is. Number one, Christ is the power of God. Notice it's not that Christ has the power of God, that Christ exercises the power of God. No, Christ is the power of God. If you're looking for an answer 
for the sign, as the Jews would say. I need a sign. I need you to show me. I need you to prove it. Look to Christ. There's the power of God. Why? Because by willingly giving up his sinless life and taking upon himself every sinful life, he does away with sin so that it would no longer be a master over us. We think about the Old Testament passage. He drowns it in a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. He casts it as far as the east is from the west. Guys, that's an everlasting era, not a boomerang. Some of you didn't get that. We often view our sin, well, Jesus took care of it, and cast it this way, and cast it that way, but we're always going, because we're waiting for it to come back and smack us. Let me guarantee you that the devil's the only person who tries to throw our sins back in our face. The Lord forgives. He doesn't forgive like we do. Yeah, we're good. He doesn't forgive like that. He says, we're not only good, we're great, we're reconciled. And he draws you in as his child. He doesn't need to bring it up anymore. Why? Paid for, satisfied, it is finished. Everybody remember this? Christ is the power of God. Not only that, Christ is the wisdom of God. If you want to know what God's brain looks like, you look at Christ. Christ is manifesting that. Christ is demonstrating that. Christ is displaying for everyone to see the knowledge of God and interaction with people in a daily life. We want to know how to live the Christ life? Study the life of Christ. How did he live with one another? In fact, isn't that one of his mandates in the Great Commission? Teaching them all that I've taught you, right? Teaching them to observe all that I've taught you? That's a big part of it, man. He is the wisdom of God. Only Christ has all knowledge. Only Christ is, not has, is the truth. If that's the case, it's impossible for anything of this world to know more than he is because he's already got the top. Does that make sense? So only he has that. It's Christ. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God, notice the sarcasm here, is there any foolishness with God? No, but you can tell that Paul's trying to speak on a level to where they can understand it. Everybody get that? The foolishness of God is what? Wiser than men. And the weakness of God, if there were any, is stronger than men. Does everybody recognize that he is talking about that Christ is the foolishness of God and that Christ is the weakness of God? Now, I don't know about you, I think that's hilarious in the text. The weakness of God is Jesus Christ dying on the cross, forgiving all sin, giving up his life willingly. No one takes it from him. He lays it down of his own volition. Dead for three days and the power of God raises him up. That doesn't sound very foolish or weak to me. That sounds like it's bursting with power. But the difficulty is, is that the world doesn't have a say-so in how it's done. We've heard the opinions that the world wants to give about Jesus, right? He was just a good teacher. Well, he claimed to be God, and so if you don't believe that he's God, he lied, or he's not a good teacher, he's a lying teacher. How do you deal with that? I love it. It's like a speaking spell down the stairs. He is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. He is the foolishness of God. He is the weakness 
of God. Moving on here. For consider your calling brethren. Now I love it. He wants them to stop for a second and think about themselves. Go back to that moment when you came to know Jesus. Watch what he says here. Consider your calling brethren that there were not many, mark this, wise according to the flesh. Everybody see wisdom first? Yes? Okay. Number two, not many mighty, right? Not many noble, which is interesting because if you're talking about nobility and rank, especially in this type of situation of the first century, there's always riches attached. Anybody think it's interesting that this parallels Jeremiah 9, 23 perfectly? Let not a rich man boast in his riches, wise man boast in his wisdom, mighty man boast in his strength. Everybody see that? Think back to where you were when you were called. Were you super smart? Were you super strong? Did you have a high ranking amongst people? Were you bursting in your bank account? Notice what it says. Now, he's saying people have those credentials can't be saved. He's not seeing that. Don't, don't read crazy into that, okay? But he's looking to make a point. Watch what happens here. Verse 27. But God has chosen, if you want to mark this, A, the foolish things of the world, to shame the wise. Notice foolish and wise contrasted. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Notice the, the, the weak and the mighty are contrasted here between verse 27 and verse 26. Verse 28, and the base things. This word base here means insignificant or obscure, having no reputation, being someone who's actually considered ignoble in a situation. You wouldn't even be noticed in a small crowd. You're negligible is what it means. Notice, God's chosen the base things of the world. Notice it's contrasted with noble in verse 26. And the despised God has chosen. I don't know about you, but I want to say amen to that. God's decided that he wants to deal with the despised. If that ain't grace, I don't know what is. Which ones don't have it all going on? Let's go after them first. Now, why is that? Think about that for a second. Is it because God only wants to save them and not other people? No, we're not dealing with that. Put your finger here with me. Get ready, Mitch. Go to Romans 11. We're going to look at verses 30, 31, 32. When I recently pulled out this little passage to look at, it was brought up in a book I was reading, and I was like, man, I need to go to that and look at that. Romans 11, starting in verse 30. 31, 32. It's one of those things that it wouldn't let go of me. The text wouldn't let go of me. I had to think about it. I had to dwell on it. I had to pull it apart. I had to deal with it. I had to read it in context. All these things that you go through because you want to understand it more. Think about what it says here. Let's read it slow. For just as you, and real quick, you as Gentiles, once were disobedient to God, but now, and I love the transition, but now have been shown, what's the word, church? Mercy. Think about that real quick. Have been shown mercy. Forgive me, I lost my place. Because of their disobedience. Who's there? There is the Jews. 
So you can mark that if you want to put like a little J, a little G there. You can do that. So, so let's pay attention to what's going on here. For as Gentiles once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of the Jews' disobedience. So these Jews also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to Gentiles, they also may now be shown mercy. Now watch this. For, there's your causal conjunction, God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. It's interesting, when I was doing research on this, Alvin McLean says the Greek here suggests that it's an animal shut up in a trap. Some of your translations may say he's consigned all. Here's what it's saying. It's saying because in our disobedience in life, we show ourselves to be meritless in front of a holy God. We got nothing to bring to the table. We're pulling our pockets inside out and all we got's lint and worse. Here, God, will this work? Will this work? Will this work? And what you find is, is that with the Gentiles, nothing would work. And when the Jews were disobedient, any degree of merit that they would have before a holy God, just off, 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 done. No, that's not going to work either. And what you find is, is that both are equally guilty without any reason for God to save them whatsoever. But that's the place that they had to be brought to. Jew or Gentile in order for God to meet them. Does that make sense? There comes a point in our lives where we have to admit, either in the quiet recesses of our mind, or if we dare, because we're with a good friend, out loud from our lips, I don't have it all going on. I have no answers here. I don't know how to move forward. When you start thinking about what eternity looks like and whether or not you have confidence to step into it, and you come to a sober realization of, I just don't know. That's where God meets you. God has rendered both sides of this situation without answers. Because that's when he gets to step in and be the answer. And what's the answer he puts forward? Christ and him crucified. That's the answer. It's so funny. I I was going to get through 1 Corinthians 1 in one Sunday. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 28, the base things of the world, the despised things God has chosen, the things that are not. Why? So that he may nullify the things that are. In other words, the things that we value in the flesh are rendered in his presence to be of no worth. The things that we esteem the most. Any of you guys got a classic car that you polish with a diaper out in the middle of your garage somewhere? You never drive it? Now, I'm not frowning on you if you're a car collector like that or or whatever. I'm not. Understand. Everybody's got their hobbies. I get it. But what is that worth before the Lord? Zero. Think he loves you more? Think maybe if, you know, he saves you, you might give him a ride? It's almost absurd after a while, isn't it? And I think it's important for us to recognize the situation we're dealing with. Now, I'm going to go ahead and guess that our Sunday school numbers are going to be a little low this morning. So that gives me a tendency to preach longer. 
because I want to finish this chapter. Hey, I'll take any reason I can get. Think about this real quick. Has everybody noticed in the current situation in the world that everybody had it going on until about five days ago? Where's this left everybody? Dazed and confused. I mean, and let's be honest, the church is looking at this from an eternal hope, and we have to be fair, we're kind of looking down on it, and we're asking this pivotal theological question, what does toilet paper have to do with any of this? (laughs) I got mine. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with those people, but I'm stocked up. (laughs) Think about it, church. Has anybody walked by in Walmart? And you look down the aisle. And I'm sitting here going. There's some guy that's got his garage full going, we're good, baby, we're good. (laughs) If Charmin is your hope, you've missed the boat. (laughs) Period. Think about it, guys. But this is what the world does when they realize Where I thought I was wise is actually foolish. And where I thought I was strong was actually weak. When I thought I had it all going on or I could buy my way out of this situation because I sure as goodness bought enough toilet paper and hand sanitizer for the entire nation of Syria, okay? But I'm finding out that I actually have nothing. Nothing. Here's a harsh reality, everybody. That's exactly where God wants people. They don't go easily. They won't come to the level that they're supposed to be at easily. This is why we came up with phrases like climbing the corporate ladder. Trying to make ourselves more than what we are. Instead of coming to terms with ourselves and saying, good grief, like the Apostle Paul, who is going to save me from this body of death? He understands the secret. That's all this body does is die. And there are no answers here. None. But look where he goes. Why is all this the way that it is, that he may nullify the things that are? Verse 29. Grab it. So that, here's the reason. Anytime that the the New American Standard uses so that, you're usually finding a reason for what he just stated. No man may boast before God. If the world system is run by Satan, then God's business is to bring it to nothing. God will tear it down. God will make it null and void. Why? Because he loves the people of this world so much he wants to get their attention. I wish I knew where I wrote down this quote at. It was something to the effect of, Satan loves to drug people with the temporal so that we will miss the eternal. We have to be sober about this. We have to look at it clearly. You say, okay, well, how in the world do we do that? Number one, God is not concerned with making the world better. I don't care what our brothers and sisters of different eschatological persuasion have to say. The world is not getting better. It's getting worse. We were talking with an unsaved individual that came over for dinner the other night. And they're like, oh man, this, 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 and this. And my wife said something like, we're not worried about it. Why is that? Like, oh, We're going to be raptured out of here. We're good. You know, just, you know, very matter of fact, very plain, it's what it is. 
Loving, compassionate, yes, but factual. Not worried. Why? Because I've been promised salvation. I've not been destined to God's wrath. I've been destined to salvation. That's where I'm going. So what do I have to fear? Reject your God and do this. Come on, man. Let's think that through real quick. That's usually when you want to turn the tables and start asking them if anybody's ever told them how they know for sure they're going to heaven when they die. So, no man may boast before God. Why? Because that's the tendency. The tendency is to get God out of the way to let them know how great I am. But, verse 30, by his doing, now notice that, salvation is all of God. He's the one who provided it. It cost him, not us. At great personal expense, he provided it for us. But by his doing, you are where? In Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ, that's where you are. That's where you live. That'll mess the post office up. That's where you live. You live in Christ. I don't know Randy very well. But the kinship that we share is because we actually live in the same location regardless of where he's at at any time in the world. Why? He's in Christ. I'm in Christ. Same benefits, blessing, grace poured out to him, the same ones as me. Same riches of an inheritance guaranteed for him is the same ones as me. Doesn't matter where he is. It matters who we're in. And we're in Christ. So, by God's doing, we are in Christ Jesus. He's the one who backed up the U-Haul van and relocated us there. He sets us down in a position of blameless acceptance in his sight because he now views us through the covering of his son. See, this is the significance of blood atonement. Now watch this. Who became to us. Why? Because we used to trust in the garbage of the world. We were all worried about the strongman competition. You know, we were all worried about who the smart Pulitzer Prize winning people were. We were concerned about what the Royals were doing now. Oh my gosh, they're moving to Canada. I can't believe it. (laughs) We're all concerned with all this tabloid garbage. Regardless of what discipline of science or education it comes from. And now that we're in Christ, we've got a replacement for all that. One that can consume all of our attention and we will never exhaust it. We will never find out that we've come to the end of understanding about it. And if we wanted to, we could always talk about it and never get old. And who is it? It's Christ. Why is that? He became to us wisdom from God. You guys realize the book you hold in your hand actually speaks against everything that this world system has been orchestrated to accomplish. Why do you think that the enemy's been trying so badly to get us to stop reading our Bibles? He knows they're out there. Good grief, America has more Bibles than we have people. But are we all reading it? See, notice that. We remain in a state of paralyzed ignorance because we don't have the knowledge that has already set us free. That's a problem. So Christ is the wisdom of God. Not only that, he's the righteousness of God. What does it mean to be righteous? Well, number one, it means be right, right? Without blemish, without spot, without stain, without wrinkle, without fault. Do you realize that in God's eyes, you are without fault? 
Not because of anything we did. Guys, get merit out of it. Get boasting out of it. But because of everything that Christ has already done. He doesn't have righteousness, doesn't share righteousness, not necessarily even giving righteousness. He is righteousness. The righteousness that I proclaim before God is the righteousness that is Christ. Why? Because he took my sin on himself and made his righteousness available to me. I have the same righteousness as God because it's God's righteousness. Does everybody see that? Christ is my in. Because I'm in Christ, I'm covered in that righteousness. Look at the next one, sanctification. Now, I know there's some debate about this. You're like, good grief, these are a lot of big scrabble words. What in the world? Sanctification can be taken in two ways. It can either be understood as positional sanctification or practical sanctification. But the word in and of itself means the fact that we've been set apart. And because of everything we saw in verses 1 through 9, it seems to be pointing to the idea here that he's talking about positionally setting us apart. He has set you apart from things. He has removed you out from an identity that once partnered you with the world. In fact, I have here, uh, let's see here. He is, I can't even read that, our new location. And he separates us from sin in every way. Think about this real quick. Three tenses of salvation, spiritually speaking. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Everybody remember, remember these? I had a cute little chart. I know you all taped it in your Bible. Look at it every day, I know. Justification, being saved from the penalty of sin, which is death, yes? Sanctification, being saved from the power daily of sin. Glorification, being saved from the presence of sin. Every one of those divisions is a setting apart that God has done. It is a complete and total sanctification of the entire salvation process. What's the problem why I continue to dabble in sin? We often continue to dabble in sin because we don't think about what Christ has already done in separating us from that sin. Does that make sense? I'm no longer going to suffer the penalty for it. Everything that he's given me delivers me from the power from it. I'm already separated from it. I'm just not trusting the power to be separated from it. It's already done. How about the last thing here? And redemption. Redemption talks about the price paid. Let me ask you a question. How much are you worth? How much are you worth? Think about this. See, this is a good introspective question because we like to have a little bit of give in it and think maybe we're getting some out of it. But how much are you worth? There's a price on your head. There's a price on your head. How much are you worth? How come nobody's answering? It <laughs> depends on who you ask. Hmm. You're worth Christ dying. Now you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Of course not. That's how God thinks. His ways are far beyond our ways. Doesn't make any sense to us. Makes total sense to him. In fact, it makes no other sense to him but to do that. Because that's who he is. They've got themselves in this predicament. What does it cost to get them out? The blood of my son. I will pay it. I will pay it to liberate them. And then I'll uppercut the devil by raising him from the dead. I kind of wish I could have been sitting by Satan when that happened. What do you think of that? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now notice, Christ is 
is, capital I-S, all of these things, our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Why should that matter? Because if we're going to boast, I can't think of any greater thing to talk about than these things. The fact that he is the power of God, the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the sanctification of God, and the redemption of God, and those are only five of many other things that he already is for us. For us. God is for me. Why? Because I'm in Christ. He's for you. And all these things are an already reality for every single believer because it is what Christ is and he cannot be He cannot stop being what he is. Does that make sense? He just is that. We cannot afford to think less of that because all that he is, we are because we are in him. So the next time that you are tempted to sin, time out. I'm sanctified from that. Get away. I don't need to commit that sin. Why is that? Because Christ died for it. In fact, it was the whole thing that got me in trouble at my old house. Thank God that he brought in a bulldozer and mowed it over and picked me up and moved me into a new location in the mansion. I'm in Christ, so I don't need to mess with that. Condemning thoughts? Well, don't you know that you're no good? Nobody loves you. Nobody wants to hang out with you. Nobody wants to be your friend. Why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself now? You'd be surprised how many Christians deal with those thoughts coming in their heads. Let me reassure you this right now. Those are not your thoughts if you didn't want to think them. That's why we're told to take every thought captive unto Christ. Take thoughts captive unto a person. Why? Because only in him is power, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You start thinking about those things, and those thoughts go away pretty quickly. Why is that? Because God had nothing to do with them, and neither did you as his child. So you don't realize how intense the warfare is with Satan because it's psychological. And because it's psychological, we have to invoke the spiritual reality to deal with it. Christ is these things. What does that mean? It means the boast of my lips should be about all that Christ is for me. I have nothing else to talk about to anyone but that. I don't care that the NBA is not going to play another game this year. It does not phase me. I'm okay with the NFL season not going on. It does not phase me. Why? Because let's be honest, the only thing we really got to talk about is Jesus. It's the only subject that matters. It's the only subject, get this guys, that's relevant. It's the only subject that's relevant. These truths make it easy to die. Think about it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy in bringing us together today, allowing us to travel here. Father, we recognize that the world has its own ways of handling situations. Father, you've given us an infinitely better way. You've given us Christ our Lord. He is the almighty God and creator of all things. He is the Holy One. And all that is great about us is all that He is in us, Lord, and that we are in Him. Thank you, God, that He is our power, our redemption, our righteousness, our wisdom, our sanctification. Father, our song needs to be about Him. 
Our conversation needs to be saturated with him. Our minds need to be boiling over with him. Every subject that we study, every discipline is immediately connected to you as the creator of all things. And he demonstrates that he is the answer in all things. The wisdom of the world has nothing on you. Father, guard us against those things that are enticing and entertaining. And that instead, we would be about Christ crucified. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.